Hey, baseball fans. I'm Matt Russell, and this is Three Strikes, You're Out, the baseball history podcast. For this show, I've decided to talk about my favorite player on the great Oakland A's teams of the 1970s, Joe Rudy. During the A's great championship years during the early to mid-1970s, he was a core member of the team. He was an amazing left fielder, perhaps the best in the major leagues during the early to mid-1970s. He was also an excellent hitter, hitting 300 twice and averaging 289 during the 1970-1974 seasons. And he made one of the greatest outfield catches in World Series history during the 1972 World Series against the Cincinnati Reds. This quiet, low-key guy was a truly excellent player on an amazing championship team. I am really pleased to showcase his career for you. So, let's get to it! Batter up! Joe Rudy played outfield and first base for the Oakland Athletics from 1967 through 1976. He also played for five seasons with the California Angels, also playing both outfield and first base, and had one season with the Red Sox before finishing his career back with the A's. He was a standout defensive left fielder and made most plays look easy, with excellent range and an outstanding and accurate arm. To many writers and fans, myself included, he was considered the best left fielder of his time. His defensive talents awarded him three gold gloves. He was also an excellent hitter, batting at or near 300 for five seasons through the mid-1970s. He was a quiet, low-key presence in an often combative clubhouse for the championship A's teams, and he will be forever remembered for his fantastic catch in Game 2 of the 1972 World Series against the Cincinnati Reds. Among his many accomplishments, he was a three-time All-Star in 1972, 1974, and 1975. He won three straight gold gloves as a left fielder in 1974, 1975, and 1976. He was a runner-up twice for the American League Most Valuable Player Award in 1972 and 1974. He was the American League leader in hits with 181 in 1972. He was the American League leader in extra base hits with 65 in 1974. And he was a World Series champion with the Oakland A's in 1972, 1973, and 1974. Joseph Odin Rudy was born on September 7, 1946 in Modesto, California. His father, Odin Rudy, that's spelled O-D-E-N, not O-D-I-N, like Thor's dad, was of Norwegian ancestry and was born and raised in the small town of Waterford, California, about 20 miles east of Modesto. Odin met his wife, Bessie Courtney, while he was stationed in Georgia with the Air Force in World War II. Joe was the second of their three children, with an older sister named June and a younger brother, Paul. Joe's parents were regular working folks, with his dad mainly working in the Sharp Army Depot in nearby Lathrop and his mom working for Stanislaus County. Joe served as a Little League Bat Boy at the age of five and joined the team at age seven because Joe said, quote, a lot of times they didn't have nine guys to play, unquote. He grew quickly and stood six feet tall at the age of 11. Other managers would not believe my age, he said in 1967. I had to carry a birth certificate around to prove it to them. Because of his size and good arm, he pitched from ages 10 to 14. Rudy's family moved from Waterford to Modesto in 1961, where he starred in three sports at Downey High. 
He was a heavyweight wrestler, played football in his freshman and senior years, and starred in baseball, where he played both third base and shortstop. But in these early years, he was known more for batting than fielding, hitting 320 as a sophomore and 436 as a junior. Coach Jerry Streeter said in 1964, quote, He has the grades to go to college, but professional offers can be tempting, unquote. Already, Rudy was projected as a first baseman or outfielder. Streeter added, quote, When a kid can swing the bat like Joe can, they can find a place for him, unquote. Although Joe was a standout on the high school team, his father would not come out to see Joe play. Rudy recalled, quote, He kept telling me to stop this foolishness and concentrate on preparing myself for a real career. He would remind me over and over again that in Norway, young men worked hard learning to be shipbuilders or fishermen or engineers and didn't waste time fooling with bats and balls, unquote. Joe's senior season was cut short in April 1964. Pat Jaquez of Stag High in Stockton, who pitched in two games for the 1971 Chicago White Sox, ran a ball in on his hands, hitting him during an at-bat. It broke a small bone in Rudy's left hand. Amazingly, he stayed in the game, hitting a two-run homer. But he wound up in a cast for three months. After the injury, his father became more convinced than ever that sports were a waste of his son's time, and a number of pro scouts also lost interest in him because of it. The one who remained most interested was Don Ducky Prees of the Kansas City A's, who had watched Rudy in American Legion ball as well. He signed Rudy for a modest bonus of $15,000 when Rudy graduated in 1964. Rudy said of Prees, quote, I liked him and he was very honest with me, unquote. Later, he added, quote, Other organizations offered me more money, but I signed on with the A's because of him. Also, he told me the players in Kansas City then were old, more or less hangers-on, Because his hand was still healing from his high school injury when he signed, Rudy reported to Kansas City in 1965 so the club could evaluate his progress. But through some internal deals with the Cleveland Indians, he was selected off of the waiver wire by the Indians as a first-year waiver pick in 1965 and played for Dubuque, the Class A Cleveland Farm Club. After his first pro season, the Sporting News put Rudy in, quote, the doubtful category, unquote. Teammate Skip Lockwood later said, quote, He was a big kid, but he hadn't matured. He was always so strong that you knew if he ever found his coordination, it would really be awesome, unquote. But he then rejoined the Oakland A's via a trade the next year. By good fortune, the A's had a Class A farm club in Modesto, and in 1966, Rudy had an excellent ear in front of his hometown crowd. His solid hitting made him a town favorite, and even his father began attending his games. Joe later said, quote, He converted and became such a fan that now you can't keep him away from the ballpark, unquote. On May 9, 1966, Rudy married his high school sweetheart, Sharon Nickerson. Sharon's stepfather, Gilbert Gibb Nickerson, was a real estate man in Modesto, he got the newlyweds involved in that business, which continued to provide their livelihood into the 21st century. During spring training 1967, Joe impressed manager Alvin Dark, and he made his big league debut on opening day, April 11, 1967, at Kansas City's Municipal Stadium, starting in left field. Coincidentally, his debut was against his former team, the Cleveland Indians. 
But Rudy recalled, quote, It was a really tough time. My biggest problem was that I hadn't played the outfield much. Going from the small minor league ballparks to the big league parks was a big adjustment. It was like playing in the Grand Canyon, unquote. He appeared in just eight games before the team sent him down to double-A, where he played mainly first base. Joe said, quote, Taking all that infield practice and throwing hard every time really strengthened my arm for when I returned to the outfield, unquote. He was recalled back to the majors in September. The A's moved to Oakland for the 1968 season, and Rudy started the year at AAA Vancouver. After an impressive 16-game stint, he was brought up in early May, and in his first game back with the A's, Catfish Hunter threw his perfect game at the Oakland Coliseum. Wow, what a game to be in on. He later said he was scared to death playing in that game because he had never played in the park and didn't want to be the cause of Hunter losing the perfect game because of any mistakes he made. But he needn't have worried. Rudy ended up with four putouts in left field, and Catfish's perfect game was in the books. By the way, if you haven't yet, check out my show on Catfish Hunter. Joe spent the rest of the season with the A's, but he struggled at the plate. However, one highlight came on July 15th, when he hit his first of 179 big league homers off of Boston Red Sox pitcher Dick Ellsworth. For 1969, the A's assigned Rudy to their new AAA affiliate, Iowa. There again, he played mainly first base. In early June, he was hitting 395, better than anyone else in organized baseball at the time, with 59 RBIs, and the A's recalled him. Herb Mitchelson of the Modesto Bee wrote, quote, The A's immediately used him in left, and Joe felt laden with instant pressure. He didn't produce in a couple of weeks, was benched, and then, on August 4th, returned to Iowa in the first corn boat, unquote. I just got really frustrated those first few years, Rudy said. In 1969, I just never hit it off with manager Hank Bauer. I never got to stay in the lineup consistently. Though he cooled off to 354 overall in Iowa, Rudy returned to the A's, this time for good, in September. But the Oakland management was still doubtful. Manager John McNamara, who had taken over for Hank Bauer, said, quote, We know Joe is better than he's shown so far, but it's hard to say what his future might be with the team. There are a number of question marks. I'm playing Joe now because I want to look at him, but I haven't looked ahead to next spring, unquote. In December 1969, the A's acquired Felipe Alou from Atlanta, and they made him their primary left fielder in 1970. However, Rudy, who had also hit 402 in the Arizona Instructional League, felt like he was on firmer ground. I got a chance in spring training that year, he said. Reggie Jackson had 47 homers in 1969, and he got in a salary dispute with Charlie Finley and held out, and Johnny McNamara used me. He also blossomed as a hitter, thanks to noted batting coach Charlie Lau, who, in his only season with the A's, cut down Rudy's long swing and put him in a very close dance. His batting stance was very distinctive and was almost a trademark for him. It was so close that his back was facing the pitcher, but it sure worked for him. Joe later said, quote, Charlie Lau changed my whole theory on hitting and what I was trying to do with the ball. It was like being in the boonies all your life and walking into a big city and finding a metropolitan library, unquote. In April 1971, the A's traded Felipe Alou and made Joe the full-time left fielder. 
He hit fairly well, but his power disappeared after a two-week stint with the Marines in late July and early August. Joe said, quote, I missed more than 30 games because of the service. Those two- and three-day weekend breaks hurt too. They disturb your rhythm, unquote. After returning from his off-season job selling insurance out of his home, Rudy made the All-Star team as a left fielder for the first time in 1972. He led the American League in base hits with 181 and triples with 9. He was runner-up to Dick Allen of the Chicago White Sox as the American League MVP, where he modestly said, quote, I think it would have been unjust if anyone but Dick had won it after the year he had, unquote. That June also featured one of Charles O. Finley's promotional gimmicks, Mustache Day. Joe said in 2011, quote, I've never shaved it. Sharon liked it. I guess it'll stay with me until she gets tired of it, unquote. Rudy gained national prominence during the 1972 World Series against the Cincinnati Reds. In Game 2 at Cincinnati's Riverfront Stadium, his third inning solo homer stood up as the margin of victory as Oakland won 2-1. He preserved the lead with a great catch in the ninth inning. Roger Angel, the great sports writer, described it vividly. Quote, Rudy, in pursuit of a very long drive hit by Dennis Minky, plastered himself belly first against the left field wall like a pinned butterfly and somehow plucked down the ball. Unquote. It was right at the end of the webbing of Joe's glove. In fact, some fans thought it had bounced free. At the time, Tony Perez was on first, and if Joe hadn't made his leaping backhanded grab, Perez would have scored. In fact, Joe almost got Perez on a great throw to first base after the catch. A's manager Dick Williams proclaimed that catch was better than the Willie Mays catch in 1954. I won't make that call, but it is one of the great catches in World Series history for sure. Check it out on YouTube. Another shameless plug? Check out my episode on the 1972 World Series if you haven't yet. In a post-game interview, Rudy credited Joe DiMaggio with teaching him how to go back on balls. It's hard to imagine Jolton Joe in anything but a Yankee uniform, but he was actually an outfield coach with Oakland in 1968 and 1969. I loved him, Rudy said. He was totally different to what everyone thought. Funny, a prankster, he loved to rib guys. He was one of the guys. But he was hounded so much they had to make special arrangements for him to get in and out of the stadium. Everyone wanted a piece of him, but he was a great guy. It was a real blessing with him there. Working with him made all the difference in the world. Rudy later expanded on DiMaggio's coaching. Quote, Going back on balls was the toughest thing for me to learn. He would spend time every day hitting balls over my head to teach me to run to a point and catch the ball. The first couple of weeks, I would run and turn around and the ball would land 50 feet away. But gradually, I learned how to get to the right spot. It's funny. When he was talking about hitting, it never did click with me. But what he did as an outfielder was unbelievable. Unquote. On a personal note, I remember seeing Joe DiMaggio in the A's dugout in 1969 and wondered what his role was at the time. He must have been a great teacher because Joe Rudy became absolutely fantastic at going back on balls. On another personal note, I've mentioned Joe Rudy briefly in a couple of previous podcasts. To me, and to many during that time period, he was the best defensive left fielder in the game. He was not flashy, but he was graceful, 
and it seemed like he was never fooled on a ball hit towards him. He always made the play, and he had such an accurate arm. I remember one game as we watched him in the left field bleachers at the Oakland Coliseum. A sharp single was hit to him with a man on second base. I had a great viewing angle as Rudy charged and picked up the ball. I was looking directly over him straight to home plate. He picked up the ball in one graceful movement and unleashed an amazing throw, straight as an arrow, to home plate as the runner rounded third. It was a perfect one-hop strike to the catcher that landed about knee-high. The runner, I don't remember the player or the team, was a dead duck. It was a fantastic play that has stuck with me my whole life. This guy really knew how to play the outfield, and that catch in the World Series showed the world what he could do. What an amazing memory of an amazing player. In 1973, Rudy's batting numbers decreased due to injury. Slipping on wet outfield grass at Minnesota in late July, he fell and severely jammed his left thumb, missing nearly a month of the season. He ended up playing in just 120 games. Down the stretch, though, he was one of the A's hottest hitters. In the ALCS against Baltimore, he hit just 222, but his three RBIs all came in important situations. During the World Series against the Mets, he hit 333 and enhanced his reputation as a clutch hitter while again playing well in the field. He ended the year hitting 270 with 12 homers and 66 RBIs, and the A's had their second World Series win in a row. I'd also like to take a second in remembrance of probably the greatest New York Met, Tom Seaver, who recently passed away at the age of 75. He is one of the all-time great pitchers and helped the Mets win their very first World Series championship in 1969. He won the National League's Rookie of the Year Award in 1967 and won three National League Cy Young Awards. He was a 12-time All-Star during his career and compiled 311 wins, 3,640 strikeouts, 61 shutouts, with a stellar 2.86 earned run average. He threw a no-hitter in 1978 and ranks as the Mets' all-time leader in wins. All of baseball will miss number 41, Tom Terrific. Back to the show. Rudy had a great year in 1974 and was the runner-up to Jeff Burroughs of the Texas Rangers for American League MVP. He hit an excellent 293 with 174 hits, 22 home runs, 99 RBIs, and a career-best 39 doubles. He also received his first gold glove as a left fielder. Although he went just 2-for-13 in the ALCS against the Orioles, he hit 333 once again in the World Series. When Rudy stepped to the plate in the seventh inning of Game 5, he showed his intelligence as a player. The start of the inning had been delayed because fans in the left field bleachers at Oakland had showered Dodgers left fielder Bill Buckner with debris, including paper, an apple, and even a bottle, which enraged Buckner. I have to say, it was not the most shining moment for the A's fans. That sort of stuff is never okay. Rudy noticed that during the delay, Marshall did not stay loose and did not even take any warm-up pitches when the game resumed. When Rudy stepped into the batter's box, Marshall had not made a pitch for several minutes. Rudy recalled, quote, I sorta expected an inside fastball, and that's what I got. Before the delay, I thought he was going to throw a screwball or a slider, 
But then, when he didn't take any warm-up pitches, I figured he would try to sneak one by on the inside, because they were jamming me in the previous game." Unquote. He promptly hit that first pitch down the line into the left field seats for a home run, essentially finishing the A's route of the Dodgers in five games. You can watch the whole at-bat on YouTube. Very cool. This was also the A's third World Series win in a row. The only other team to have done this was the Yankees in 1998 through 2000. Incredibly, the Yankees also had runs of four wins in a row during 1936 through 1939 and five wins in a row during 1949 through 1953. Absolutely amazing. In 1975, the A's decided to put Claudel Washington, a promising 19-year-old rookie the previous year, in left field. Rudy was shifted over to first base. A bemused Rudy later said, quote, It's kind of funny that after playing left field eight years and finally winning a gold glove there, I'm moved. Unquote. Yet Joe won another gold glove in 75, despite playing only 44 games in the outfield. And he continued to hit well with a 278 batting average hitting 21 home runs and driving in 75 RBIs. By this time, however, things were going sour with owner Charlie Finley. Rudy had made $84,000 in 1975 as he settled with Finley out of arbitration. He had asked for $400,000 over three years, which was not an outlandish amount. But Finley ignored the request and did not negotiate with him. And because Rudy did not sign once the season had started, Finley actually cut his contract the maximum allowable, which was 20%. That's Charlie O for you. On June 15, 1976, Finley decided to sell Rudy and A's star reliever Raleigh Fingers for $1 million apiece to the Boston Red Sox, while selling pitching sensation Vita Blue to the Yankees for a reported $1.5 million. Joe was annoyed by Boston's treatment of him during this time. Joe said, quote, Boston started off by lying to us, telling us no deal had been made yet. Then they said they wouldn't restore my 20% salary cut. I'd ask for that as a sign of good faith so Agent Jerry Capstein could negotiate with them, but they wouldn't do it. Here they'd spend a million dollars to get me, and they wouldn't spend another $15,000 as a gesture of good faith." Unquote. A few days later, Commissioner Bowie Kuhn voided the sales as, quote, not in the best interest of baseball, unquote. Rudy finished playing out his option with the A's. He broke out of his slump during June and July and had another solid year hitting 270 with 13 homers and 94 RBIs. He did this even though he said, quote, I reached the point this season where I just didn't enjoy going to the ballpark anymore, unquote. The time had come to leave, which was really saying something. Rudy was by all accounts the nicest and most upright guy on the club. In 1972, he gave the ball that he caught to end the World Series to Finley, saying, quote, He's waited a long time for this, unquote. After that season, when his contract was mentioned, Joe said, quote, Mr. Finley has always been fair to me, unquote. Now he voiced his discontent to sports writer Herb Mitchelson at length, feelings best summed up by the line, quote, I'm just tired of Charlie's bull bleep, unquote. The offers came into Rudy. And while money was certainly a prime consideration, he said, quote, I just want to go to a good organization where it's fun to play, where they treat you first class, where there's no bickering and hollering, where you won't be harassed, unquote. On November 17, 1976, 
He signed with the California Angels and owner Gene Autry. Rudy later said of Autry that he was, quote, another great man, a wonderful guy. Win or lose, he'd come around the clubhouse. He never said a derogatory word, unquote. Rudy's years in Anaheim were productive when injuries didn't keep him out of the lineup. The 1977 season was shaping up as potentially his strongest, but it was derailed after 64 games by an injury similar to the one he suffered back in high school. On June 26th, Nelson Bryles of Texas hit Joe's hand with a pitch, chipping the second metacarpal behind the index finger. It was the only time I ever saw Gene Autry get mad, Rudy recalled. Bryles had hung a slider to Don Baylor that inning, and Baylor hit it out. When I came up, he threw the ball behind my head. I ducked, and I still had the bat in my hand. The ball hit his finger, breaking it between the bat and the ball. Rudy continued, quote, Autry was just seething. He knew it was on purpose. It was so obvious it was ridiculous, unquote. The hand went in and out of casts over the next couple of months, but failed to heal properly. Finally, Rudy underwent surgery on September 2nd to remove bone fragments, ending any thoughts of a comeback that year. The hand still wasn't 100% until well into spring training 1978, but as it turned out, that was the only season approaching a full one for Joe in Anaheim. He started well, but slumped badly. Former President Richard Nixon, who is a big baseball fan, offered his support after a visit to Anaheim Stadium. He stated in an interview, quote, let me say this about Rudy. Although he hasn't hit well, he has saved some games in the field. He will be the glue to get his team back together if he gets his swing back, unquote. Rudy found his swing and proceeded to hit two grand slams in the span of nine days. He actually finished his career with 12. Assorted leg injuries marred Rudy's 1979 season. While running out an infield hit in Detroit on August 15th, he hurt his right Achilles tendon. The initial estimate was that he would be out for at least three weeks, but he was done for the year. As a result, Joe did not appear in the postseason for the Angels, who won the American League West with Don Baylor as their primary left fielder. The 1980 season was Rudy's last with the Angels. He suffered calf and hamstring pulls, cutting his season short once again. In January 1981, the Angels traded him along with pitchers Jim Dorsey and Frank Tanana to the Red Sox, for outfielder Fred Lynn and pitcher Steve Rinko. After the trade, Joe told Peter Gammons of the Boston Globe, quote, I've got some good days left, unquote. But there were only a few during his lone year in Boston, including a two-homer game at Fenway Park on August 12th, his last of nine such games in the majors. Overall, it was not an enjoyable season. He became a free agent again that November. On December 4th, 1981, he signed a two-year contract with Oakland, returning to the scene of his triumphs. A's president, Roy Eisenhart, said, quote, There were many reasons why we signed Rudy, not the least of which was sentiment. Joe Rudy brings character, community, and a sense of team with him, unquote. He compared Joe's veteran experience to that of Lou Pinella, who had helped the Yankees to beat Oakland in the American League playoffs that year. It was no coincidence that the A's manager was Billy Martin, who had preferred Rudy to Reggie Jackson when both were free agents in 1976. Joe played his final big league season in 1982, mainly at first base. The A's expected him at spring training in 1983, but chronic soreness in both Achilles tendons kept him at the family's new home, 
a 300-acre cattle ranch in the northeastern Oregon town of Baker City. Rudy said, quote, The team doctor told me, if you hurt your Achilles again, you won't be able to do things with your kids. I still kept trying to get back, but I never could, unquote. Rudy spent the entire 1983 season on the disabled list, and Oakland chose to release him that October, ending his professional playing career. Rudy went home to Baker City and started the baseball team at Baker High School. He coached there for the next couple of years. In 1986 and 87, however, manager Tony LaRussa, a close friend from their minor league days, brought him back to the A's as a batting and outfield coach. Among others, Joe worked with Jose Canseco, seeking to make the slugger a complete player. Rudy said, quote, It was homestands in 86. I'd come down from Baker and then go back to check on things at the ranch. In 87, I was gone about four-fifths of the time. Tony wanted me as hitting coach in 88, but the stress of being gone was too much. I wanted to be there for Sharon and my second son in particular, unquote. At this point, Joe Rudy stepped away from professional baseball for good. He returned to Baker High as an assistant coach for another couple of years, and his real estate business flourished. Joe also did some instructing at a local baseball academy and sponsored tournament play with wood bats. Looking back on his baseball career in 2011, Joe Rudy said, quote, It's all I ever imagined doing when I was younger. It was the focal point of my younger years. It was an amazing journey, a couple of guys who came up together from single A to Birmingham to the majors. We were a really young ball club in 68. Finley threw us out there every day and we got our butts kicked. Then we matured. I talked to Gene Tennis, ace catcher and 1972 World Series hero. I talked to Reggie Jackson once in a while. I see some of the other guys at alumni golf tournaments, though we don't travel much anymore. But the relationships you develop when we get back together, it's like we've never been apart at all, unquote. And what a career he had. He won three world championships with the A's, was a three-time All-Star, and a three-time Gold Glove winner playing left field. I will always have fond memories of sitting with my family in the left field bleachers watching the best left fielder of his time at the Oakland Coliseum. And his catch in the 1972 World Series helped start the A's on their way to the first of three world championships. Thanks for the wonderful memories, Joe. Next time, Three Strikes You're Out will feature a recently retired superstar who I actually saw in a Cactus League game in 2019. He is a modern baseball superhero whose batting and fielding skills are legendary. The great Ichiro Suzuki. This guy did amazing things, including setting the single-season record for hits with an astonishing 262. Trust me, you don't want to miss this one. And as always, see you in the bleachers. Special mentions go out to the following. I would like to thank YouTuber Mr. Runnerholic, look him up, for his permission to use his cover of Take Me Out to the Ball Game. Also, if you get a chance, please leave a review of the show on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Any feedback would really help. Thanks. <laughs>